Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mayor Greg Fisher podcast. Uh, since I took office, the original value for our city was lifelong learning, and that's because any city that's got a lot going on, that's growing, that's taking care of all their people, to me, seems to have lifelong learning at their hub. And so there is no more critical partner in our city as it relates to lifelong learning than the Jefferson County Public Schools. They impact over 100,000 of our kids each and every year and prepare them for the bright future. So I'm really pleased today to be joined by Marty Polio, the Thank superintendent of Jefferson County Public Schools. And big time for you. Yesterday was the first day of school. What did you hear? Well, uh, thank you, Mayor, for having me. I think this is my second time on. Uh, so first since COVID started, so it's great to be back and, and talk with you. So second day of school today. Um, and so I went to nine schools yesterday and really heard a lot of positive things about energy, excitement of being back in the school. Saw kids wearing masks, saw, heard very few complaints about it. Kids had them on, adults had them on, they were wearing them, uh, but just, you could just tell the excitement to be back in school was great. And as always, uh, you know, when you're transporting 60,000 kids and feeding 90,000 kids, you have some things that you need to improve on after the first day, which I think we have between day one and day two, and I've already been to two schools today. So it's a continuous improvement process, but we're very pleased with the opening of school. Yeah, I enjoyed joining yesterday and talked to a first grader who said, I was really nervous at the beginning of the day coming back to school. He says, but I got through it and now I'm a big kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love spending time in elementary schools. I was in kindergarten classes this morning at Klondike Elementary and the kids are just awesome and so excited. So I don't know, I think back, boy, elementary is the way to go. You get those high school kids and sometimes high school people, teachers, everyone can be a little grumpy, including the principal as I was, but elementary kids are just, um, you know, they're just over the moon and so happy to be there. So it's exciting to be in a class with them. Well, and you mentioned the mask, because I mean, a big part obviously right now is, is safety, right? How do we keep these kids safe and healthy while we're still fighting the pandemic, the Delta variant in particular right now? So what kind of feedback did y'all get yesterday about mask? What kind of questions did people have about vaccines and how the school is going to help facilitate more vaccines? Well, first and foremost, I want to say, you know, there's uh, in, uh, I was on a phone call today with the Secretary of Education, uh, Secretary Cordona, and all the large city superintendents across America, and essentially all on the same page, that we have to have guiding principle of safety and health first. And so superintendent after superintendent was talking about the importance of wearing masks for two important reasons. Obviously the safety and health, stop the spread of the virus. We have specifically anyone under 12 years old has not gotten the vaccine yet. Um, and we look forward to doing that, but that safety and health. And then secondly, to keep schools open. I was talking to some super or hearing from some superintendents down in Florida, some of the largest school districts down there. And they haven't had masks because it was mandated that they couldn't uh, require masks. And they have been quarantining students and staff by the thousands. And so if we wanna keep school open, which is critical for 175 days, it is important to stop this spread with mask use. So I clearly think that is the right step to take for those two reasons. Secondly, the vaccine is so important for two reasons. Number one, the science is clear on how that prevents uh, the transmission of it, it reduces it and the symptoms. Uh, but the second reason also is the fact that if we have people with a vaccine 
even if they are a positive test, if they've had the vaccination and they wear a mask, they don't have to quarantine. So the more we do that, the less we have to quarantine and the more likely we are to stay open for the entire year. That's the goal. We want our kids in school. It was a tough year last year. Uh, mental health challenges for all of Americans, not just students, young kids, is a real issue right now. So how are you dealing with that within JCPS? Well, uh, I think nationwide with education, a, um, there is this urge and rush to get back into school and let's diagnose the academic problems or the academic loss, so to speak, shouldn't say problems, and the positioning of where every child is specifically to math and reading and begin implementing interventions immediately. And there is time and space for that. But I think the first thing we've had to do as a district and say, and this is, you know, I heard Jeffrey Canada talk about this, uh, who was uh, the creator of the Children's Harlem's, uh, Harlem's Children's Zone, excuse me, when I heard him speak a few months ago and he said it's so important to provide a safe space the relationship building, um, the um, bringing you back to school, re-engaging you in school, providing you those services that you might not have had, especially around mental health. And that's what schools should be focusing on early part of the year. So in several schools, I just saw things like relationship building, team building. If students need extra support that we bring in the mental health uh, counselor that we have at every single school. Um, we get them two counselors to get them the support they need. So really focusing on that early. And yeah, we are going to have to pivot at the same time and really work on the academic side of it as quickly as possible. But I think it's really critical that we focus early on on supporting children. Absolutely. I mean, I think as a country, we're probably at an all time high in terms of mental health challenges. I read yesterday, 27 percent of Americans are facing some sort of mental health challenge. So to act like it's not there is, is really silly and it's unproductive, both for health but for academic achievement as well. So I applaud you on that. Thank you. I, I've, I think you're a great leader. Well, thank you, sir. You know, you've got 100,000 kids in school, 15,000 staff, and all kinds of parents and all kinds of expectations. Last year, we were all thrown a loop. This pandemic wasn't in any of our plans, and we had to adjust. So what kind of leadership lessons came out of the year for you? Well, um, a few things I would say when we're talking about leadership that I specifically th thought about, and I had a focus last year. We are very lucky and fortunate to have the leaders in JCPS that we have. And I would put them up against anyone, the 155 principals, several hundred other administrators that work hard every day for the children of JCPS. But we had a real focus on coaching and leadership last year during this crisis time, and I think First of all, we were able to improve as leaders as a result of it. I think the lesson that we learned also as well is we always focus in JCPS with our leaders on two things for effective school leadership and probably any organization. And that is the balance between the urgent and the important. And so the urgent are the fires that the you know, fires that have to be put out on a daily basis, the things that come at you every single day when you are in a school or a school district, and they must be dealt with and they must be handled correctly in order to make sure, you know, things go smoothly and, and everyone is safe. But at the same time, if you do that too much and don't focus on the important, which is that long-term vision, that North Star, that let's get better as an organization, 
then we would come out of the pandemic and be farther behind than we went into it. And we've just come too far to not say, let's continue and push forward while we're in the midst of this crisis and this challenge. And so I'm very proud that during this time, yes, we had to pivot and work extremely hard on COVID mitigation and NTI and supporting kids. And we're gonna to have to continue to do that. That's the urgent that we had to do. But the important, we came out of corrective action plan. We had an audit during the middle of COVID and came out of corrective action plan with the state. We broke ground on three brand new schools in JCPS. We fixed the third floor at the Academy at Shawnee. Um, we continued to push and work hard in the midst of social unrest around um, racial equity and supporting our kids and growing numbers of gifted and talented students. So I really think the lesson we took away from this leadership wise was, yep, we gotta take care of that urgent, but our North Star, our guiding purpose has to stay with us and we have to keep pushing. Yeah, no, great job there. It's like, same, this big school system's like a city, right? It's, something's gonna happen every day. You don't know what, when, or where, and you gotta have great reactive muscles. That's right. But if you don't have great proactive muscles with your planning and all that, you're gonna be doing nothing but a great being on a flywheel. So great job on doing both. You just talked about social justice. Uh, the city's committed to racial equity has been for a long time. Last year accentuated the need for us to do even more. How's that impacted you at JCPS? Well, it has been uh, one of, we have three pillars in JCPS and it is one of our three pillars along with our backpack of success skills and improving culture and climate in every school and throughout the district. But we have to know that racial equity for the past three years has been a pillar, a foundational pillar of our work in the district, which means for us, everything we do, has to, we have to look through the lens of racial equity because over half of our students are students of color. And we've had to admit, like almost every other school district in America, we have achievement gap between black and white students. And I've said this often and therefore, and, you know, I've disagreed with often about this. It has to be one of two things. If it's happening in every district, in every large city, that we have an achievement gap between black and white students. It's either number one, we believe that black students can't achieve at the same level of white students. If that's the case, then we all should resign from our positions and not be in education. Or number two, there are systemic inequities in education that are leading to these outcomes. Now we know there's many other inequities that have to be dealt with systemically, but our focus is on education. So I give an example. Selection of gifted and talented for the past 50 years in Jefferson County Public Schools has been based on one test. One test that you can see some bias in. You get the score, you're gifted and talented. You don't get the score, you're not gifted and talented. Not only is that not racially equitable, it's really not following the law of the state of Kentucky about how to identify gifted and talented people, children. So I say, if we don't look through a lens of racial equity on this, we would not have expanded our view of how we select gifted and talented and changed it and had a thousand more students of color. And by the way, a thousand more white kids selected as gifted and talented. And the research is clear. When you say to a child, you're gifted and talented and they truly are, the outcomes are exponential for that child. So that's just one example. But there are many examples from hiring um, to curriculum. And so let's talk about curriculum briefly because it has become an extremely controversial topic in today's world with those 
three words that we hear so often these days, critical race theory. And unfortunately, anything around racial equity is now under this umbrella of critical race theory. I can't say enough about the importance of student belonging. When a student feels a sense of belonging they, it, with their school, and part of that is, yes, being involved in things, but another part is seeing themselves with, with the student population, with the staff, and with also the curriculum. And so if a student doesn't feel that sense of belonging, it is much more likely that they will have negative outcomes. That include behavior issues, suspensions, attendance issues, dropout rates, uh, not scoring proficient academically, transition readiness. All of those things are related to student belonging. So although it is controversial, we believe that our curriculum must reflect our student population and expanding the curriculum is the right thing to do and presenting a historical perspective that is true and accurate to all of our students is without a doubt one of the most important things we do and we will continue to fight for that no matter how controversial that becomes. Well, I applaud your effort there. There should be nothing controversial about teaching the history of our country. Some people might be uncomfortable about the history of our company, country, particularly as it relates to race, but we weren't there. So it's our job to tell the truth, say where we're at today and where we want to go tomorrow. And we know as a city and as a country, when everybody sees themselves belonging in a hopeful future, that's better for us. And I think you either enter this conversation from a kind of moral perspective or an educational or economic or public safety perspective. But in my view, the future of our country is all about our beautiful diversity. And the quicker we pull that together, the better off everybody's going to be in the country. We're going to be a majority minority country in 20 years. So the demographics are telling us what to do in addition to what I believe is the right thing. So thank you for your leadership on that. One area that's been tremendously helpful for our workforce development was the creation of the Academies of Louisville. And we line that up with our Evolve 502 program so that the needs of industry were kind of the pull through JCPS where you guys could create academies to line up with what our workforce needs. So give us an update on that, what you see the challenges are, and then how does Evolve 502 fit into that? Yeah, so it's one of the things I'm most proud of as a high school principal. I was actively involved in the creation of the Academies of Louisville and an early adopter of the work. Got this position and saw that I could help influence thousands of high school students with relevant uh, curriculum that they are going to have a pathway that's going to get them a job skill um, or college credit hours, but most importantly, have them be transition ready and step right into jobs that are needed here in this local economy. And so this would be the fourth year we felt that we, pre-COVID, this was gonna be the year that we were actually gonna be above 80% transition ready, which was just 30 points higher than the district would ever be or has ever been. Unfortunately, because of being an NTI and COVID, a lot of the testing that we provide for certifications we weren't able to give to students, but still had nearly 55% transition ready and our highest graduation rate ever, about 86%. It looks like it's gonna be when the final scores come out. And I attribute that to the Academies of Louisville work, getting kids in pathways. I was in a welding lab at PRP. First year, so the first sophomores 
going into the welding lab and you could just see the excitement on their face that they're in a class that's going to train them high skill, high wage job and they, they just can't wait to get and, and it's just great to see that on high school kids. And then I went to Wagner, they have a sports medicine pathway and just top of the line um, medical sports medicine type equipment for the kids to use. And the magic is they all have business partners that are engaged and work with the kids. So we're actually expanding that now to an explore program for our middle schools. So we are making the academies of Louisville actually a six through 12 program. And then Evolve 502 is coming in on the other side of that with a scholarship for every JCPS student to go to JCTC Simmons College of Kentucky and a two by two for those that qualify to go to U of L as well. So it, it's, uh, I think we have built something collaboratively here in this city with Evolve 502 to really, you know, that um, pre-K all the way through, we'll call it 16, post-secondary, uh, but also into the job market as well. And so I think we've developed something special that is going to be a model for everyone else to come see. Well, we've been working on this for 10 years and it's been great to see the journey all along. Thank you for your commitment to it. But just to be really clear for our listeners here, there is no financial constraint to a JCPS student from freshman to senior in high school right now to getting a post-secondary degree, zero. Every student in a JCPS that graduates from a JCPS high school that is in nine through 12 right now, which let's say to the graduating class of 2025, I believe that is, um, has free tuition to, to college. So there is no, there is nothing that should be in the way of students in JCPS in this city at getting that post-secondary opportunity. And we know the number one barrier or the number one constraint to getting out of poverty is a post-secondary degree. So you can, you can graduate in two years, four years, or you can get a credential for plumbing or electrician, whatever it might be as well through Evolve 502. So really want to continue to promote that, but thank you for really embracing on that. And so as we close, last thing is let's talk about the importance of our summer works program, our summer jobs program, and how this fits in with JCPS, your, your coaches, and Evolve 502. Well, summer works is critical. I think when we first started it before the academies of Louisville, it became you know, almost like, okay, get a job that is outside of the realm of the work you're doing in school, which is great. Let's get our young people employed in the summer. I think that teaches kids so many things when they have a job, they're successful at that job, uh, they can be mentored during that job. But over the past few years, we've really brought it together with the academies of Louisville. So I talked about the student at Pleasure Ridge Park who is in the welding program they can then have a summer works job that is linked to a manufacturing career like welding in a company that may support that skill that the kid has. So they are getting summer employment and on top of that getting a leg up of I'm actually getting to work in the career that I find to be uh, inspiring and motivating in what I want to do. So it goes beyond just that connection of a fast food job so to speak that might not have a link to what the kid is passionate about and puts them in a place where they're gonna be very successful. So Summer Works has, has been, I think, a game changer for so many kids in this community. Yeah, no, we appreciate it. I mean, you can see here, folks, that JCPS is a total community partner. They're not an island over there just teaching kids. They're integrated into total community to help us achieve our, or meet our workforce needs. 
and bring kids, kids along basically 365 days a year. So really proud of the work and grateful for you, Dr. Polio and JCPS for being really a leading light in our city and the country as well. So thank Thanks. you for joining us today and for everybody, look forward to hearing you again or seeing you again on the next podcast.